Welcome to Harper Academic Calling. Our podcast is designed to give educators, students, as well as every reader, a behind-the-scenes chat with a range of our authors, from well-loved favorites to up-and-coming debut writers, about their books. Harper Academic calling Patricia Williams. Patricia Williams, or Ms. Pat, is a stand-up comedian, actress, and writer, but her early life, detailed in her memoir Rabbit, was far from a laugh. Born and raised in Atlanta at the height of the crack epidemic, Pat became a mother of two, worked as a crack dealer, was shot twice and arrested numerous times, all while still a teenager. As bleak as her circumstances were, Pat's determination and resilience shine through in what is an essential American story, told with equal parts humor and courage. So joining us on the phone right now, we have Patricia Williams, author of Rabbit, and thanks for joining us today. Oh, thank you for having me. Of course. Um, So you mentioned in the introduction to the book that many of the stories in this book are stories that you've never told anyone. Why tell them now? What gave you the courage to open up about these things now? Um, I think basically because <laughs> I just want, it was a story that I, th- I thought that needed to be told, mm-hmm. and it was just stuff that I was holding on the inside, and I figured, you know, doing with my comedy being as true as it, you know, so real, once I tell these stories, it'll be another chapter where I freed myself, and I tell you, when I told chapter five, I, it's been a long time since I cried like that. But I was so happy to just be able to let that pain go and start to heal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so you are a comedian now. Um, how has comedy been for you a source of healing, a coping mechanism throughout all of this? Oh, my God. Comedy <laughs> has helped me so much. Uh, you know, it just allowed me to open up and, you know, what, you know, I was, I, to me, what I've learned... I was carrying so much burden and pain and not forgiving people. And the more I talked about it, the more I was able to let go. Mm-hmm. So when most people go and sit on the couch and pay somebody to listen to them, I was able to tell my story to people who was drunk with a two-drink minimal. And we <laughs> all laughed together. Mm-hmm. And so being able to laugh at that pain, there's got to be something freeing in that, right? Very freeing, yes. Mm-hmm. I mean... It, with comedy, I've learned to not worry about what people think. Just tell the story. Because, you know, when you go through stuff, a lot of times you think you're the only person that went through that. I, I learned that I'm not the only person that that went through the things that I've been through. It's so many more Miss Pat or Rabbit or, you know, so many more women and men that's gone through what they hit you. And so you're... um. Currently, you are developing a TV show with Lee Daniels and 20th Century Fox based on your life, correct? Yes. Okay. It's, a, it's a half hour comedy. Not quite based on my life, but it's a half hour. Mostly based on my current life. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got it. Yeah, yeah. So based on your life after the events of the memoir. Yes. Okay. Got it. Cool. Um, so in terms of um, reading this book, there are... So many people who really know nothing about the reality that you were living, um, and even those people who do kind of 
have some sense of what that's like. A lot of them haven't really experienced it. Um, do you think increased awareness could change these types of situations in any way? Like, if more people knew about what you and people like you had gone through like that, would that help? Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> awareness helps, you know, a lot. I mean, you know, look at, I tell people every night, just looking at me, you would have never thought I went through what I went through. And then once I tell the story and people come up to me like, oh, my God, you're telling my story. Can't judge a book by its cover. You can cover up a lot of things. But when you start to peel back the layers, you realize, wow. I mean, people never, you know, looking at me now, people never would have thought that, you know, I came from a household where, you know, I didn't eat and abuse and stuff like that. I'm always smiling. Mm-hmm. And when I, you know, I get I get an email or, or I get some type of social media inbox message all the time with people thanking me for telling my story and, you know, telling me that they hope one day that they can tell their story or they're going to tell their story. Mm-hmm. And so there are there are so many people who aren't able to break out of that life the way you were able to. Um, what what did it for you? What how were you able to make a new life for yourself in a way that many people aren't? To be honest with you, first you gotta want to change, mm-hmm. and I you know I wanted to change. I didn't know how I was gonna change, but I wanted it. You know when I went to jail and did that year in jail for selling drugs and violating my probation and stuff like that. You know, I, that was the only time in my life when my life was at a standstill. I, it wasn't moving so fast. And I realized I was starting to give my kids what I was handed. You know, uh, convicted felon, high school dropout, teenage pregnancy, being un, uneducated, living in the ghetto. And I just said, I don't want to lose my kids to this cycle. That's when I really realized I was in a cycle. And I was like, what am I going to do? And I'm going to let my young black son grow up and be with society think black men are. And I'm going to lose my child to this, my daughter to teenage pregnancy and high school dropout along with my son. And I was like, no, nah, I got something to fight for. Mm-hmm. I was actually, um, there's a point in the book where um, Lamont makes a comment about, um, the phrase he uses is multi-generational deep ass shit. And so that really got me thinking about the cycle and the way this kind of perpetuates and it gets handed down generation by generation. So you're, you being able to break out of that is amazing. Well, thank you. I mean, it wasn't easy. You, like I mm-hmm. said, it all started with you want to change. You got to want to. You know, we all sit around and say, well, we don't do it, don't do it. I, I you know, I, I changed my life for my kids. For me, too, and mostly to save my kids. My kids don't know nothing about a struggle. You know, I have two sets of kids, a 32 a 31 and a 19, I mean, an 18 or a 20. I call them my, my Medicaid kids and my Blue Cross Blue Shield kids. <laughs> <laughs> and they both had a different life, but neither one of them had my life. Mm-hmm. Because I worked my tail off to keep them from going through what I went through. Mm-hmm. And another thing that I noticed going through the book is that there are these specific moments throughout your life where there's, um, whether it's your third grade teacher um, or a social worker, different people who would show you these little moments of kindness or paying attention to something little that would really kind of set you on the right track. Do you think that had a big impact? Oh my God, yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, I always tell people, Miss Trick is the first person that I really thought they cared. You know, to clean me up, to brush my hair, to comb my hair, to brush my teeth, 
you know, to keep from other kids from picking at me to feed me. You know, when she knew I wasn't getting enough between the free lunch at school. So, I mean, it was it was all it was it was like hope. You know, I say in the book, I say Miss Juke told me she lit the fire in me. She said, Patricia, you can do and be anything in this world you wanna be. All you gotta do is dream. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't understand that. And when you know, I tell my husband, I said, I'm gonna do this and he's like, You can't do that. I said, Miss Juke said I can do and be anything in this world I wanna be. And I'm 40-something years old, and I still call her. So, yeah, those were gestures that the caseworker showed that they cared, that the Miss Troop showed me that she cared. All of that helped me along the way. Mm-hmm. What, um, are there any other things that, looking back, you think could have helped you back then? <laughs> yeah, to be born into a better household. <laughs> <laughs> to have the lady from Leave it to Be would be my mother. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, I tell people all the time, I say, you know, I truly believe that every child deserves a solid foundation to start on. Mm-hmm. If I had a more solid, if I had a, a solid foundation to start on, ain't no telling what I'd be today. I mean, I didn't turn out too bad. I'm a comedian. I turned my life around. You know, I, you know, I had to go through something to get through something. But I, I just truly believe every child deserves a solid foundation to, to, to start on. That's one of the reasons why I raised my sister kids for 10 years, and I'm stuck here now with my niece kids who just ran off and left them because I don't ever want to see a kid go through what I went through. And I can't say it the world. But if I can say one or two, if we all can say, say one or two at a time, just one, the outcome could be different in this world. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the things that really struck me as I was reading the book was how much responsibility you took on at such a young age. You were trying to figure out how to be a mother when you're a teenager. Um, you were financially independent. You're taking care of your own children. Um, what, you know just that experience of being so independent? Um, I think I learned that from my grandfather. He's the first entrepreneur I ever saw. And when you're trying to survive, you I mean, when you have, honestly, I believe when you have, when you become a mother, mm-hmm. for a lot of women, that, that motherly instinct just kicked in. It became all about my kids. So a lot of times, I forgot how old I was. When people were like, how old are you? I was like, Oh, I'm 16. <laughs> I kept forgetting how old you were when I was reading it. <laughs> <laughs> and when I would tell people I was 16, they were like, you 16? <laughs> but, <laughs> I mean, it's, it, you know, I, in my mind, I was grown. Mm-hmm. But legally, I was a kid. It was all about, you know, you know, you know, making sure my kids eat, make sure we got a place to stay. When, nobody else was going to do that for me. I had two kids by a married man. He wasn't. He didn't care. He wasn't standing me after he got me knocked up twice. So I had to take care of my kids. You know, you would see in the book. I don't know if we put it in the book. But at one point, when he was helping me with my rent, but he was helping a whole bunch of women with their rent. But you know, honestly, I had to survive for those kids. And then when my sister got on drugs, and I saw where her kids was headed, I had to, you know, step in and help them too. It wasn't. It never dawned on me that I was that young. I tell people all the time, I've been a mother since I was 14 years old. 
I wish there was a retirement plan or four hundred one k with this thing, but it's not. <laughs> you would have started earning very early. <laughs> yeah, I'm tired of monitoring too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. I can't wait till I go through a midlife crisis and be running outside with short shorts on. <laughs> I was like, oh girl, I'm a teenager. <laughs> Um, another thing that struck me um, was at the end of the book, you talk about at the very, very end, um, the struggle nobody talks about is what it feels like to be invisible or to know in your heart that nobody cares. How did that factor into your past situation and other situations like that? I would have to say, um, you know, like, <laughs> they always tell the story of a young black uh you know, young male coming out of the, the inner city or the ghetto or the project, rarely do they tell the stories of females. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody ever talk about what the struggle what a woman go through coming up, you know, the way I did. And so many times I felt like I didn't exist. Nobody cared. I mean, you can look at the news now. It's all about males. It's so male-dominated. Nobody cares about the little girl. Honestly, when this, this trafficking stuff came along, you know, trafficking young girl, that's the most I ever heard of concern about women in this country. Mm. So the invisibility you talk of, that's very central to you being a woman then? I think so. I mm. mean, you know, it's like, because people want to believe that women don't go through things like this. You know, really, I mean, how many female drug dealers have you met? I I sold drugs and I've met many. The, the most you hear out of a woman is that she's been through abuse or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, and most women, honestly, I have so many women from all over of life that would not speak out and tell you that they were teenage moms. I had a black woman ask me one day, she said, I had my kid at 14, but I would never tell nobody. How can you tell people that? I said, because I don't worry about what people think about me. And then she went on to say, and you're telling my story. But she's too scared to tell her own story. Mm-hmm. So we do go unnoticed. I mean, it's, it's so many times in the ghetto, nobody cared. Nobody cared about, you know, what, what I was going through, how young I was with two kids, you know, the, the struggle that I was facing every day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so, Pat, I just have one more question for you. Uh, and this is a question that we ask all of the guests on our podcast. Um, so it's a standard question, although for you, I think I know where your answer will be. Um <laughs> Since this podcast is geared primarily towards teachers and their students, who was your favorite teacher? <laughs> Miss Tree. Miss <laughs> <laughs> Tree is my favorite teacher. And you know, if you said you have such a lot of teachers, you know, I always tell teachers, nobody makes a mark like they do in kids' lives. Because, you know, and I tell people, I tell teachers all the time, I say a lot of times when you think a kid is bad, you don't know what that kid got to go home and do. A lot of those kids go home and turn into parents. So that school place is the only place that child can be a child. But nobody sat down and listened to the child. Mm-hmm. I act out a lot because I felt like I wasn't loved. I wasn't getting fed. Nobody cared. I mean, I don't, I don't know if it's in the book, but it's been a while since I read it. I never forget my mom was a black history play. And, you know, black people take black history serious, especially back in the 80s. I mean, you act everything out. And I asked my mother, I said, all I ask is that you come to this place. 
everybody parents showed up except somebody for me. Nobody showed up for me. And I lost it. And he was like, why are you crying? What's wrong with you? And I was too embarrassed to say, nobody showed up for me. So you never know what these kids are going through at the household. And a lot of the teachers can't do what they used to do. You know, back in the day, you could wash a kid up, comb the hair, take them to your house. You can't do that anymore. You'll get, you'll get arrested. Just take time and listen to the child. Because if they want to talk to you, somebody at the house is not listening to them. They're not getting what they're supposed to get. You know, they, these kids I have now, the first thing they wanted to do because they act out, they was like, you know, maybe we should put them on something. You're not putting them on nothing. What we're going to do is change their mind. Their minds are in survival mode and they're in the second grade. These kids wasn't getting what these kids in my community was getting, which was love and fed and taken care of. I said, once we change their mindset, then everything else would come around. If you look at these kids I'm raising today, you'd have never thought I pulled them out of the inner city of the ghetto out of a crack house. Mm -hmm. So just listen. Start, you know, I wish teachers would get back to caring. A lot of them do. But just listen to the child. They ain't as bad as you think they are. Absolutely. Pat, thank you so much for talking to us. It's been great. Thank you for having me. Of course. Have a good one. Bye. Thank you for listening to this episode of Harper Academic Calling. Subscribe on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite third-party app for more episodes. And be sure to visit us at harperacademic.com for more information about this and other great books.